Hello, friends. Austin here. As some of you know, we launched an Indiegogo campaign for my next short film, Spider. It's a fun creature feature, and I couldn't be more excited. I am the writer slash director on this, dipping into my own arachnophobia for it, and I have a great team joining me. It stars Spencer Madison, who's been killing it in the indie horror world, like with films like Wolf Hollow, Phantom Fun World, and The Demons Within. The spider effects are being built and puppeted by B-movie horror props, and they seriously look so cool. I'm so excited for this short, and and you can help. We still got 17 days left, so please check out the Indiegogo page, contribute if you can, and share it with all of your spooky-loving friends. It would mean the world to me. I want to take the time to shout out everyone who contributed in this campaign's second week. So thank you, thank you so much to the Rothy family, John and Lindsay Owens, and Maggie Bruce. Thank you all so much for contributing to my creepy crawly nightmare. Also, my short film that's currently running the festival's Ice Cream, that was a finalist in the Strange Days Horror Fest, so that's pretty cool. And it just got into the Motor City Nightmare International Film Festival and Horror Convention that's going to be on Novi the weekend of July 28th, July 29th, and July 30th. That's going to be a really fun time. I don't know exactly when the short film's playing yet, but once I do, I will be sharing it onto the Twitter and the Instagram and Facebook pages. Don't you worry. But yeah, if you're in the Michigan area and you want to see Ice Cream, Novi's a place to be, end of July. Now it's time to talk about the empty space. Death has come to your little town, Sheriff. Have you ever felt a knife cut through human flesh and scrape the bone beneath? You're gonna need a bigger boat. Be my victim. You are all my children now. Hello, my name is Austin Torres, and welcome to the Would You Die podcast, the show where we talk about our favorite horror monsters and villains. Today, I am joined by award-winning writer-director known for his works, The Last Ones, Borderland, and the topic of today's episode, The Empty Space. Please welcome to the podcast, my friend, Andrew Harda. Hello. Yeah, thank you for having me. I am so excited. We've been um, Twitter friends for a little while now, so I think yeah. this has been a long time coming. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think I was following you on Instagram for longer, but definitely once you once you hit those social medias, you get, you get to stay in contact a little bit more, you know? Exactly. And that's uh, <laughs> part of the beauty of the world we live in. Right. Even though social media is not always the best thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sometimes, sometimes we need to take a break. But right now, it's yes. it's all social media all ahead because of the promotions and everything. But it's cool when you get to like interact or like when you see friends like yourself, especially right now. You know, it's always it's always a nice little reprieve. Exactly. And I think we were meant to be friends. I think we're both very similar. We're both Mexican American filmmakers who love horror. It was meant to be. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's funny. And every time that there's any kind of Latino or Mexican American filmmaker, I always try to at least reach out just because it's cool, especially because, you know, I don't think anyone is really producing work the way we're producing it, the way we look at the world. And so it's uh, not only do I want to do it just to kind of help support, but I also just want to see what we can do. You know, it's always interesting. Exactly. And it's just like, 
sometimes and and it's like i mean i'm smarter people have said it better than i will but that representation really does matter whether it's in front of or behind the camera so i uh i don't like to make assumptions because you know what they say assumptions fucking suck (laughs) (laughs) but um i will be like i'm willing to assume we look up to a lot of the same filmmakers yeah i would i would say most likely i mean i you know especially the when I was in college, I started off as like a business major and then I was like a vet major, whatever you, biology. And I saw um, Guillermo del Toro's Hellboy. And that, that was like the first time, cause I had, you know, I had loved Robert Rodriguez's El Mariachi and other kind of movies, but Blood In, Blood Out, which we we talked about recently, or we, we, I just watched again, it's a great movie. But yeah. I had never seen a movie made by a Mexican director that wasn't about Mexican issues. I mean, Hellboy's about, the hellboy and yeah. so it kind of like it showed me that we're capable of doing anything we can make any kind of movie we want and i always say when people ask me like oh well you know the empty space or last ones or zombie movies or cosmic cars they're not mexican movies and i say every movie i make is a mexican movie because i'm mexican and i'm making it and so it's yeah. kind of that thing where guillermo del toro helped open my eyes to that idea and so that was the first time i saw one of us really going out there and just kind of making whatever he wanted and making the kind of movies I wanted to make. And so definitely a huge inspiration. He's kind of the reason that I became a filmmaker. So definitely that guy. <laughs> oh yeah. We, I, I'm sure everyone does, but we love Guillermo del Toro in this house. Right. And and we got, um, we, I think there's a lot of great Mexican and Latino filmmaking talent. Cause you got Alfonso Caron. You got, I always butcher his name, Alejandro Inaratu. <laughs> yeah, you're on your own on that one. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. One. <laughs> I'm always like, uh. And then like, like Alfonso Caron, like he did a Harry Potter movie. Right, right. Yeah. And in, in my opinion, the best one. Right, yeah. And that's, I mean, you have you even have George uh, Romero's from Cuba. And so, mm. which I didn't know. I I, I mean, his I did not know that. Yeah, it should have come... Like once I found out he was from Cuba, I was like, oh yeah, his name's Romero. But <laughs> I didn't know that until like last year. And it's like, oh, of course. I've been watching his movies since I was like since I started watching horror movies. So yeah, we're I everywhere. just learned that right now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Every like everyone listening. I just learned learned I'm, my mind is blown because I know, right? Uh, <laughs> that is a titan of the horror genre. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A, like, you know, Night of the Living Dead, I think is one of the most important not just horror yeah. movies but just one of the most important movies made yeah yeah and I, that was one of the movies the first movies i remember really scaring me as a kid that just like the relentlessness and you know it's one of those movies where it's interesting from a from just watching it it's interesting when you find out the behind the scenes of what they had to do to make it because they had like no money and it's interesting to learn its its social impact and how he kind of added that to the film. So it's one of those movies, kind of like Texas Chainsaw, where you can watch it from so many different angles and just be impressed by how whatever angle you want to watch it from, you know, it's it's just one of those mavericks of horror. Yes, exactly. And you mentioned him a little earlier, but I got to say my main my main inspiration um, for Latino filmmakers is Robert Rodriguez. Yeah, yeah. And have you read his uh, his book, The 7,000? Yes. Yeah. That was what I read that book so many times when I was making Borderline, <laughs> just because he has so many good tips in there. 
Oh and, yeah. Yeah. I love Ron. And he used to have, like on back when DVD come special features were around, he used to like do this thing called Robert Rodriguez's cooking show. And mm-hmm. he would like do stuff that he would make in between our on set. And like he made like breakfast tacos and stuff. It was, it's always just interesting how much of a like of a homeboy he is. He's always just like, come on, hang out, we'll yeah. play some music. And you hear him <laughs> on set, he has his guitar and he's like working on the score in the middle, in between takes. He just yeah. seems so down to earth and so kind of cool, you know? And he's done so much for not just the Latino community, but I think just filmmaking in general with like his network El Rey, giving yeah. shots to um, independent filmmakers from all over. And a lot of La- Latino talent um, on screen, we wouldn't really have if it wasn't for Robert Rodriguez casting yeah. them in leads, you know? Right, right. And I even, um, the guy who plays Brad in The Empty Space, Pablo Medina, he is a musician. And one of his music videos, I directed it. We got it on the El Rey Network for like a month because they had open submissions. And That's they fantastic. Like, it all through June. Yeah. So I can probably say that I've been on that network. And so, yeah, he helps. The, just the fact that he was like, he has his own network and he was letting people just submit and let them and showing their work is an amazing accomplishment. So yeah, he's definitely helping people like, and I mean, even just inspir- inspirational lives, but yeah. even just like the the things that he allows, like the, the arms he lets reach out is, is amazing. I love Robert Rodriguez. Yeah, and like when I was growing up, when I was growing up, the Spy Kids movies were huge. Right. Like that's like my, like my generation. And yeah. And I didn't realize at the time, because I was like seven, uh, how important it was for like a Latino family to just be the stars of this kid's action movie. Yeah. And I didn't realize that. Like I said, I was seven. But, you know, it did mean a lot because I didn't think anything of it because they looked like, uh, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it was every time you came out with a movie, you're always kind of a little impressed with what he was doing, you know, from yeah. Sin City, where it's like, even just the actors he was able to work with. You saw how, like, just being able to, you know, he was A-list almost immediately after Desperado. And so seeing some of the stuff, like him then, like, being a pioneer, where you saw him slowly fall in love with CGI over the course of the kids, <laughs> of the Spy Kids movies, you know, and kind of, like, play with that. And so, yeah, I just think the the fact that he's branched out. And so, I mean, he just did Alita with... Uh, with um james, james cameron yeah. and so like i don't know it's just always impressed i never know exactly where he's gonna pop up but it's always what nice what he does you know and like that that dude is living the dream because he does what he wants he mm-hmm. owns his own network and then he can cross over like cross over from super independent stuff and like and like he'll work with james cameron on this huge anime <laughs> uh blockbuster movie He'll produce a Predator movie, which is yeah. like dreams. I mm-hmm. love Predator. And then the man, not, not not just he gets to play in the Star Wars universe. Right, right. This yeah. is the guy who brought back Boba Fett. Right. <laughs> I was yeah. so stoked. So stoked. Yeah, Mando season two has been out for a while. So like. When that was the Boba, when the Boba Fett episode came out, I'm like, that was the greatest thing I've ever seen. Then I saw yeah. directed by Robert Rodriguez. And I'm like, I'm not surprised. That is why. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I did it because I knew he was directing one. But then when you're watching it, you kind of forget. And so 
I remember yeah. watching that episode and be like, this episode's cool. And then at the end, you just see the direction by Robert Rodriguez and you're like, right. That makes sense. That was what he did. So yeah, definitely. And like, again, what? Because I remember I saw El Mariachi. My uncle bought it from Juarez because El Paso and Juarez are like border town. And it was like on a VHS tape. It didn't even have any labels or anything. It just had like a, a label maker label that just said El Mariachi. And I can't think of a, like a better delivery service for that movie. But watching it, like you don't ever think like, oh, this guy is going to be directing like 50 million, 200 million dollar blockbusters in 10 years right. or 20 years. And so, yeah, just to see how far he's come and see what he's done. And just the fact that he was he wanted to do the movie and he wasn't going to he was going to do whatever it took to do it is always going to be inspiring to me. And he still does it. Yes. I mean, yeah. Sin City, Spy Kids, those are because he wanted to make them his way. And so he just figured out, he just built a studio for himself and decided to do it that way. And I just think the fact that he still brings that kind of energy to his sets just makes him even more impressive, you know? Exactly. So I, I, I just think the world of that guy, he's one of my big, one of my big inspirations from Dust Till Dawn is my favorite vampire movie. So <laughs> that's how we transition back into horror. Boom. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> As everyone probably knows, we're both super horror fans. Uh, what's your earliest memory of like getting into the horror genre? You know, the funny thing is that my dad would kind of let us watch whatever we wanted. And so we grew up watching like Aliens and Predator and Terminator. And so... That's just kind of how we grew up. And I remember very clearly, because we watched Aliens and Predator, and I didn't even like, I think we watched them for so long that I didn't even realize they were supposed to be scary. And then <laughs> I remember one time my brother, I think we were like five, we were like, we always watch Aliens. Why don't we ever watch Alien? And so we decided to put Alien on and we like we were hiding behind the couch because we were so frightened. And I think it made it even more impressive because we, again, we had watched Aliens so many times. And so for this creature that we've seen a million times to suddenly become scary, that's like always going to stick in my mind as, as one of my first horror experiences, you know? That's incredible. I love that story, especially because I think it's so funny. When there's a bunch of them, hey, that's fun. <laughs> yeah. When there's only one, holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah that was like and again especially because the first one is just so creepy in its atmosphere and like yeah i don't i just don't think our, our little kid brains were ready for this kind of movie. <laughs> for sure i i still remember the first time i watched alien that is my favorite scary movie yeah. so like when ghostface asks me i i have an answer <laughs> you're ready to go yeah <laughs> exactly <laughs> I think that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> is uh so Alien is kind of the was that the film that like well you said it scared the shit out of you but yeah is that the moment where you're like I like that though. Yeah, I think I mean just the fact growing up with all these movies and Star Wars, you know, you kind of like yeah. when you grow up watching these kind of sci-fi movies, you start to learn to love these kind of monsters and these characters and so we really just like seeing monsters and seeing them on the screen yes. and then, I think it's especially because a lot of horror movies, like even horror movies you may not have heard of that like only had one movie, they have like these long backstories for the monsters. And I think like as a kid, you're like wanting to grab every piece of information. So if there's like a movie you like, I remember being in like elementary school and I saw the first Hellraiser. And then this is when the internet was just starting. And I spent like a whole day 
just reading about the backstory of Hellraisers. And like there was I had only seen like one of them, but it's just kind of like there's so much information that um, like my brain wanting to learn everything I could about these monsters really just kind of segued into me loving things. And then like being in El Paso, again, we're on the border between Mexico. And so like after 10 o'clock in the morning, all kid shows stop on American channels. Yeah. But on Mexican channels, they kind of transitioned into like Godzilla movies and they would show Godzilla movies like the whole day. Yeah. And so we we would watch those and because, you know, we could understand what they were saying. And so like I was telling someone else that I didn't realize that Godzilla movies took place into Japan for like the first couple of years because I just saw they were always in Spanish. So I just assumed that they're Mexican yeah. movies. So that's, <laughs> It was just kind of that love of monsters that transitioned into love of horror because that was the only place to find monsters. And so I think just kind of that was what became like that started the love of horror films for me. Monsters was also my gateway. Um, <laughs> although, well, I shouldn't say monsters because what really well monsters, yes, but like creature features. Mm hmm. I yeah. love creature features. I yeah. I always will, I think. Um <laughs> Because my first horror movie, which a lot of listeners already know where I'm going with this, was Jurassic Park when I was three years old. Oh, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And that's, that's a heavy one for three years old. <laughs> yeah, it, it explains a lot about me. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I, I always tell people that's been my favorite movie ever since I was three. I've seen Thanks. so many great films, mm -hmm. but I've never found a film that I'm like, I think that might be better than Jurassic Park. It hasn't right. happened. Right. And I don't think it will. One, because I'm biased and Jurassic Park's <laughs> like 50% my personality. Um, yes. <laughs> but also, I think it's because I saw that so young at age and it influenced me in so many ways. Like, I have a seal, you know? Right, right. And but, I think it's interesting. I mean, there's that... other great. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, especially with Jurassic. Oh, no, good. Uh, especially with Jurassic Park. Like, I remember watching it. I think when Jurassic World came out, just to kind of rewatch it. And mm -hmm. as an adult, like there's that scene where they're all having dinner and kind of talking about the implications. And I was the first, because I hadn't seen it in a while. And that was the first time I was like, oh, this scene is as good as every other scene in the movie. Like yeah. even them like discussing, it's almost as good as all the dinosaur stuff, just because everyone's so smart. The characters are so likable. It feels like you feel smart listening to them talk a little bit. And so, yeah. Watching it again as like as I go older, you always find something in Jurassic Park to really take away and like, you know? Yeah. And I think that's why I haven't had any films kind of challenge it for my favorite spot. There are so many great movies coming out. So I don't want to, I'm never going to be like, they don't make movies like they used to. I'm not <laughs> that kind of person. But every time I watch Jurassic Park, I find a new thing to appreciate yeah. about it. And then one of my other favorite movies of all time, this one I saw when I was five, I think everyone can agree this is a horror movie, but Jaws, yeah. huge influence. Right, right. I remember because Bel Paso has this like classic horror film festival and I saw Jaws the first year they showed, I think, I think they showed Jaws every year because why wouldn't you? Yeah. But the first year <laughs> they showed Jaws and it was the first time because I was sitting in that theater and I had, I, uh, very similar to Predator and Aliens where we had seen it so many times that I was never really scared of that movie. But watching it in theaters, I was like, oh my God, this is terrifying. I think as you're just trapped in there with the shark. And it was the first time I really felt everything. And I was like, this is 
this is a completely different experience. And so, yeah, Jaws is amazing. Do you remember last year when they had that re-release, but it was in like IMAX 3D? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I didn't get to see it in IMAX, but I was able to catch it in 3D. Me and a couple friends, I think some of them have never seen it, if I remember correctly. Yeah. But we went to go see it and they're like, Austin, you love Jaws. You want to go? And I'm like, if I ever say no to saying, (laughs) if I ever say no to that question, that is not Austin. That is a body snatcher. We are being (laughs) invaded. But we went and I'm like, it was funny because me and one of my other buddies, Jaws is his favorite movie. So we were talking. We we're like, I mean, it's cool just to see it, but we're not fans of 3D. So it'll be right, like, right. whatever. This fucking picture, so fucking good in 3D. Like, right, right. Yeah. What the hell? <laughs> <laughs> I think just the way, cause I think the water makes for the perfect, like, stuff yeah. coming out of it, you know? I, and I, even I think of like that scene where Quinn is on the ship yeah. and it's just him, and I'm like, that would look super cool in 3D, if I'm being honest, you know? And it's just like, and, you know, I got to say some good things about that up-and-comer Steve Spielberg. Like, right, right. he might do some things. He's been going some places, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, the way he uh, the way he directs that film, just, that movie is came out in 75, so it'll be turning 50 soon. And it's just, it works in every, I've watched it on VHS, DVD, Blu-ray, 4K, yeah. theaters, 3D. Um, God <laughs> willing, I'll see it in IMAX. Like, you see yeah. this movie in any possible way, and it's amazing every time. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's just that thing that Spielberg can do where, again, he just makes his main character so interesting that you're never really bored, even when they're not chasing down a shark, you know? And so yeah. it's just, like, I there's just, like, scenes in there that i can just visualize perfectly like the the tiger shark a what and he does that almost flawlessly you know like yeah. doesn't seem like he's trying too hard but, exactly. yeah. and again like we we're talking about yeah. Vegas, the fact that the shark didn't work they had to figure out ways around it and i think like i mean everyone said that it wouldn't have been as scary if they had gone with what they had planned but leave it to Spielberg and he kind of figured out how to not only make it work, but make it scary as hell. And so I think that's always the most interesting thing. It's just this, like the way that filmmakers can find a way <laughs> going back to Jurassic Park. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Film uh, finds a way, <laughs> yeah. Perfect. but uh, no, I love that. And I think you hit on a really interesting point where to be a successful filmmaker, whether you're on the level of Steven Spielberg or you're doing it your own way, like Robert Rodriguez, or you're just fucking awesome, like Guillermo del Toro, or you're listening to this podcast and you're just having ideas, you know, like whoever, you know, like I think one of the key and traits you need as a filmmaker is perseverance. Yeah, definitely. And I, one of the things I always say is, you know, because people ask me on my sets, like I'll, I'll do catering if I have to, I'll make sure... People get rides. I'll do whatever. Yeah. Like to me, the most important thing is the movie gets made. I'm not going to like once we have it, once I have the idea and it's ready to go, then I'm going to do whatever it takes to get it made. And, you know, if that means figuring out lunches, if that means picking up, I had to give some of the actors rides because they didn't have one. I'll yeah. do it. It doesn't matter. You know, like especially now with you can call someone an Uber, you can get Uber Eats for catering. It's just kind of like, but I think you just, you have to have that will to like keep going regardless of what happens because no film set's going to ever be perfect. You know, everything's going to kind of fall apart 
And so you, the best thing to do is to make sure that you're ready to go. So when things do fall apart, you can kind of work around them. And so, yeah, definitely perseverance. It's one of the biggest things that we all need, you know? Yeah, exactly. When did you, when did you first realize that you were going to be a filmmaker? You know, I like, um, we were talking about this earlier, but I started college and I be coming from Mexican American families, at least on my side, it was a big emphasis on like secure jobs. You know, my yeah. grandpa was a post office worker. My mom was a lawyer. And so there was a kind of an emphasis on being a, a like getting a stable job, making sure you had like a place. And so I had always liked films, but it wasn't that stable. I didn't know how to get into it. And so I started off as a business major. And then I went to um, being a vet major, whatever, biology. And I started dating this girl and she was like, oh, well, if you could do anything, what would you do? And I said, oh, I'll make movies. And like, just kind of that idea sparked off like the idea, like, well, why don't I try for this? Like, especially at that point, because I was at, I think I was like a freshman in college. And so everything kind of seemed like a, like a, you know, like a slingshot around the world. And so I was like, if I, if I can make it as a filmmaker, at least, that'll be something I've always wanted to do. And so I, that's also around the time I got this idea from the lost about the last ones. And so just kind of like having all these things to go. And then I met Joshua Epp, who was my, who became my partner, uh, my producing partner. And so him having that faith, because, you know, you have the faith in you, but as soon as one other person gets it, you're like, okay, well now I can't mess it up. And so yeah, that's when I really like started going hard. And so we just kind of worked on work, getting the zombie movie made. And then, after that, there wasn't a lot of thinking about it. It was just kind of like, let's get it done, you know? That's awesome, man. I love that. When did you get the idea for The Empty Space? Yeah, The Empty Space came to me. Uh, I was living in L.A. after I was making the last ones and just kind of trying to find my place in film world. And uh, I started to develop, develop anxiety. Well, I guess I like always had it once I <laughs> really think about it, but it started to really become prevalent and I was starting getting these anxiety attacks and so once I kind of like started getting help for that and getting treatment I uh I, I wanted to do something and I realized like one of the things that took me a long time to admit that what I had was anxiety and kind of depression and stuff was that in movies everyone like if you have anxiety if you have depression it's a lot it's a lot of one note performances where like you know, you have the depression guy and he's just in his bed. He doesn't get out. He's, and like, I wasn't doing that. Like I was going to the gym. I was like going to movies. We were still doing stuff. It's just like something was wrong. And so I want, the main thing I wanted to do was tell a story that felt like how I felt when I had anxiety, you know, like it's that thing where on the surface, you could look fine. You could be with friends. You could be laughing, but on the inside, there's an empty space inside of you. And so I really wanted to portray that and like, just kind of working the story from there. It uh, Cause I didn't plan on making it a horror movie, but the best way for me to convey, cause I wanted to, you know, if the depiction wasn't realistic, like, you know, literally I wanted it to be realistic emotionally. And the best way to do that was using some of the tropes of horror and like using the sound design, using the framing and you, doing that to really get the audience in it. And so that's kind of how it all, that was like the first seeds of, of the empty space. I love that. I was able to watch The Empty Space, but for listeners who, because I'm not quite sure when this episode is coming out. I believe it'll be late June, early July. I don't know what I can say about where it's at in the world. <laughs> where, uh, where late people June, can watch July, it. it'll be available to rent on uh, on most places where you can rent movies. 
and then mm -hmm. you can still buy it. You can also buy it there, but you can also buy it like in stores at VOD and uh, I mean at like Walmart and Barnes and Nobles. But I know that it's going to be coming soon to Tubi. We don't know exactly the time, but you can also wait for that and, and have it come out. I think early July, we should have a better idea. But um, but yeah, so it should be coming to me right now. You could probably rent it or buy it if you want. If you want to buy a random movie for no reason, I won't stop you. <laughs> if you want to support independent Mexican-American filmmaking, I think that's yeah. a great reason. <laughs> that is true, yeah. And I got to say, as a fellow independent filmmaker, cosmic horror is such a swing. <laughs> <laughs> and you did a great job tackling such a like to be frank such a hard genre to pull off like no matter the budget right cosmic horror is hard right yeah i think you know and when i was writing it i didn't think of cosmic horror i wasn't kind of going it was it wasn't until i started talking to valerie Aileen, the main actress and she was asking me like oh well, what movies are you trying to emulate and the movies i told her were like a ghost story 2001 and it, it just kind of started to hit me that it was a cosmic horror. And I think it was just kind of that, again, you're dealing with the empty space, you're dealing with like, we. I, I really thought like at the time there was this kind of idea that there was no hell and instead of hell, you kind of get erased from existence. And I like that idea to me was very scary. Um, this, this idea that you just become nothing. And so playing with those ideas and of course they, that idea just kind of rings into anxiety because when you're depressed and when you're, anxious you kind of feel like you don't exist and so just playing with all that kind of came together and I think the character uh one of the characters in the film is just kind of representation is a representation of that cosmic horror and so I really just put everything that scares me about emptiness and the the void into that character and so it really came together really well and I I just love that it kind of I don't know it's it's that thing where I it kind of seems cliched, but I did get lost in the story. And when I came out, it kind of became its own thing. And so I think that that's, that's one of the things I love about this movie. So That's awesome. So you mentioned earlier your, your lead star and your co-producer, Valerie. What was the process of getting her on board? Um, it was a process because, again, you know, you're a small director. I reached out to her. Um, we had also been... Twitter followers for a while and she was talking about acting and so I reached out to her and at the time you know I was extending it to everyone we, we were just trying to find the lead because again it, to me if the character of Valerie doesn't work the whole movie I mean Valerie of Amy Andrews doesn't work the whole movie doesn't work because I think you spend yeah. I don't know if there's a scene without her I think there's one or two scenes near the end that doesn't have her and it's that's about it and so I really wanted someone who I thought could encapsulate the role but more on it Honestly, to me, it's someone who was like hungry to play this role. And Valerie came in, she was in between, um, she had just graduated from college. And so she was very um, willing and we just kind of talked it out and we kind of discussed what the role and she had kind of a very clear understanding from the beginning of the general, the general, I mean, it's a tough role for anyone. And so the fact that she was, she kind of got it right away, kind of showed me that she was willing to do it. And I had said from the beginning that anyone who was, gonna play Valor or Amy Andrews. I wanted them to be also producer just because I wanted them to go along with that story. And so that kind of came around naturally as well. And so we just kind of hit it off really well. We we practiced, we we did a lot of Zoom rehearsals because she lived in 
think South Carolina at the time. And uh, and so we just went from there. And I think just kind of having someone you could trust was the most important thing. And luckily, I found that person in Valerie. That's awesome, man. And you shot this in, it's said in the credits, you shot this in Texas and in New Mexico, right? Yes. Yeah. And we shot, the majority of it was in El Paso, um, in, but we shot a little bit of it in Las Cruces, New Mexico. Um, it just, the bookstore scene, which if you've seen it, you've seen that scene, but that bookstore was so yeah. cool that I had <laughs> to use it once I, I, I think I wrote it with that bookstore in mind, just cause it has like, it's a used bookstore. Like they have books falling off the shelves, you know, that's the kind yeah. of bookstore it is. And so I had to use that one. And so, and a lot of the places in El Paso, I really wanted to like, there's a scene where they walk on an overpass, like a pedestrian overpass. And I knew I wanted to play with that. It just always kind of freaked me out to walk on that thing. And so I definitely <laughs> wanted to see it around there. Um, and a lot of it was just kind of like, I just really, I love being able to show up El Paso and Las Cruces. They're not very well known, but they're very unique being able to show them up. And a lot of times that you see them in, again, it's like the thing where, where I see them in movies, they're always shown as like a small town, but El Paso's not that small anymore. And so <laughs> I wanted to really convey that, um, yeah. especially like with some of these locations that we went through. I really wanted to go big on this one. And you did. I would, while, while I was watching it, I was like, there are so many locations. How did you pull that off? <laughs> yeah, it, it was just a lot of planning, a lot of figuring out where what we wanted the places to look like. And you know what, with this one, with Borderland and with the last ones, I wrote it with the locations in mind. I, you know, I, mm. with the last ones, we just filmed it at my parents' house. With Borderland, every location in that movie is an uncle or an aunt's house. Um, and so I really wanted this one. I didn't want to be limited because I knew I really had something I wanted to say. So I didn't want to be limited by locations or budget. And so when I wrote it, I just wrote it as if I had all the money in the world. And then after I finished it, I had to turn the director hat on, figure out how I was going to be able to do that. But luckily we were, we found some cool people that wouldn't charge us an arm and a leg and let us use their locations. And so just working with the film offices, working with these people about like figuring out how to film there and just kind of it all came together. And I think, I think it adds that it's in so many, it feels like they're kind of moving around the real world as opposed to like just hopping between one or two sets, you know? Yeah, no, exactly. Cause when I, um, cause I've so far in my career, I've only done shorts and I've always kept them like one location, super small, super small casts. But I think you and I are similar where we have high concept ideas yeah. I always have like, well, not always, but recently I've discovered I will put the money into a special effect. So my last one is ice cream has an ice cream truck, <laughs> which is kind of <laughs> like the star. And yeah. we just filmed that around the same like block of a neighborhood and then use like the driveway. But yeah, that was all one location. <laughs> <laughs> And, uh, but all like a lot of the money went towards renting an ice cream truck because mm, yeah, right. I can't have ideas that are easy. I have to, <laughs> right. I have to give my, I have to give future Austin headaches. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's that thing where like, you always kind of want to be challenging yourself. Like the last ones yeah. had one location and then, but it was the first film and then the borderland had a bunch of locations. And it had a pretty big cast, but they were always like, there was never a scene with more than three people. Every every scene only mm, had three yeah. people. And so it was pretty easy to, I mean, it wasn't, you know, you direct three people, it's not as hard. And the empty space, 
had a bunch of locations and there's like a couple of scenes where they're the whole cast is is at work and so that was a challenge to me but I think like any filmmaker just kind of wants to keep challenging yourself and seeing how far you can go and seeing what you can do this time and I think that that's always commendable to like you know I think having an ice cream truck makes it look even cooler <laughs> you, kinda, <laughs> yeah. you get to like play with that kind of stuff and it just adds you know exactly you always want to challenge yours and that's part of like the perseverance that we're talking about um the will to make films that's going to be our theme of the episode (laughs) perseverance just like you just got to do it uh (laughs) it's funny because i i've been up in the ante on my shorts but so i'm working on my third one right now and um i think when this episode's released i already uh, i already would have announced the indiegogo campaign but it's called spider oh cool. um that's coming out sorry we're supposed to be talking about you but here i am time to plug my shit um <laughs> sorry but i'm just no, like cool i'm excited um yeah. reason why i bring it up is like my first film my first short best day ever we had four a cast of four on ice cream i had a cast of two right now i have a cast of one <laughs> oh. <laughs> but what but keeps getting them, yeah but what keeps getting harder is the first one had not a lot in terms of like special effects or hard camera work. So two of the characters were tied up for a majority of it. So the blocking wasn't hard. Right, right. Yeah. Then the second one result, we needed an ice cream truck and we have a fun little kill where a spoiler alert, the main girl gets melted like she's ice cream. So we pulled that off. And then this new one, Spider, were having a practical spider the size of a football so yeah (laughs) so even though my casts are getting smaller the movies are getting much harder (laughs) right right (laughs) but that's awesome i'm very excited to see this giant spider yeah uh i uh i'm 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 still in the prep work of it and it's like giving me uh (laughs) it's giving me the fun stress you know what i mean right yeah yeah like do you get that as a filmmaker Mm -hmm. And there's nothing better than when you know it's kind of working and it's like, oh, I still have a lot of work to do, but I know it's kind of coming out, you know, and so that's, I I think that's almost the best feeling as a filmmaker to know that you're on, like the thing you thought of was kind of working as you thought it was going to, you know. Um, I'm sure you can relate, but I get like the butterflies when I'm (laughs) in this prep work because it's all I can think about, which is hard because i have a podcast and i guess i have a full-time day job so i should be a bit better with (laughs) juggling my mind but it's like when it comes to the filmmaking that's all i can think about right now right right yeah yeah and it's like for me when i'm you know once i get into sound design it's like the only thing i can focus on even when i'm watching other movies and then the same thing with editing like if i haven't edited in a while i can turn it off like that but if i'm in the midst of editing I notice everything in editing and stuff. Yes. I think it like it just kind of takes over your brain for a while, you know. Oh yeah. And you do so much on your films. You're writing them, you're directing them, you're editing them, you're DP, you're producing them. Like only you and Robert Rodriguez, like <laughs> <laughs> Well, and I, I, yeah, of course, like Robert Rodriguez is the inspiration and it's just that yeah. kind of thing where it's like we actually had another DP on the empty space, uh, but they dropped out at the last second. We had all the actors ready to go. We had the locations themselves. Like, I, I, I know what the movie I want the movie to look like. And we asked uh, 
I asked one of my, uh, the people I knew from the news, because I used to work in the news, George Cervantes, to kind of mm -hmm. help me figure out the lighting and everything. And so he was a great help. Um, and so I think it's just that thing where you you have to get it done. You, you surround yourself with people who you can trust to kind of help you out and just kind of go from there. And I think that that's, that's the only way to do it. You know, I think that yeah. regardless of how big my films ever get, I still want to have that mentality of like, we want to get things done. We want to challenge ourselves and let's keep going. Exactly. And I think it's so easy to forget how hard it is to make a film. Right, right. Yeah. And I like this, I think the movie took like five years from script to completion. And so just kind of like, you have to love the movie at that point because yes. if you're if it's something that you kind of want to do you're gonna you're gonna get lost in the weeds and so i think you know the the fact that i love these characters i love the thing that i was making made like made going through it it wasn't even a question of like oh or, or, do i have the ability or like do i have the strength to get through this because it's like i really wanted to get this one out there and so it's just you once you once you find that character you find that story it's just go time until until now, really. Yeah, really. <laughs> and now you're still doing the work because you're doing press, you're doing right. podcast appearances. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's all it's always. And I, I tell all my actors this. It's like, I don't know how successful it's going to be, but I can tell you that I'm going to market the shit out of it. And so I think it's just that kind of thing. And, and, you know, being proud of it makes it even better, being able to share it. And this one, I think, it's it's my most personal film and so I really have an attachment to it and so far the reviews have been really good and so I'm hoping that that can kind of continue and just kind of like even if not like I had someone email me about something else and they were like wait you made the movie The Empty Space it was cool and like just that kind of reaction makes it worth it where people are watching it who don't even know who you are they're just watching it because it's yeah. all, like it's available and so I think that makes it super cool. I think that's awesome man and I Ah, oh, it's it it's it is super cool. I gotta ask, but I gotta be vague about it because I want people to watch the movie, so I don't want to give stuff away. Right. There's a monster villain, which is pretty cool. I don't know what I can say, like what's a spoiler and what's not. It's hard with cosmic horror, you know. <laughs> yeah, especially with this one. There's a lot going on in this yeah. movie, and I I've kind of like the trailer if you watch the trailer it's purposely misleading and uh and i think that i the great thing is i worked with bayview and they kind of let me play with how i wanted to release it and so we have kept some things secret i think i the furthest i always get is that she's amy andrews is playing someone she's had this kind of violent attack happen to her during a party uh, she's having anxiety she has depression uh, because her boyfriend was murdered during that that attack and then he comes back and she doesn't know exactly what's real and what's fake. And she has to kind of figure out whether she wants to like live in this world that might not be real, but it's kind of given her everything she wanted or whether she wants to find out what's really happening. And even if it risks everything that she's asked for, you know? And so that's like how I try to explain it. <laughs> no, I think that's great. And no, I think that's a great way of explaining it. I'm still going to be vague um, before let's call it the monster because I don't want to spoil a certain plot point. What was your inspirations for the monster? I think it was a it was a mix of a bunch of things. Just kind of like thinking about this this thing, this being that might live outside of everything. I think there was like a little bit of inspiration from that. The Cenobites, you know, like in Hell mm -hmm. by Barker's Hellraiser, 
they don't they're not evil they just kind of exist as they exist and there's yeah. there's a scene where they talk to in the sequel they if someone figures out the puzzle and they come out and they're like oh she doesn't she didn't know what she was doing she doesn't count it's desire that and like just the fact that they had these very weird rules and they yeah. didn't they weren't just slashers i think that was a big play and a lot of the clive barker stuff kind of that did that and i just kind of like thought of this creature who who wants to be human so bad and he can't so they uh so they're they're trying to like figure everything out superficially and to me that's just scary like this thing that wants to understand you but has no grasp of it is 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 terrifying to me and so that was a lot of the inspiration and then it was just kind of like figuring out what others have done and figuring out what i wanted to do and like again clive barker was just a huge a huge part of it or it was also like even kubrick with 2001 just this yeah. thing that like i think the main thing that i really stuck with was this thing that exists and it's not necessarily trying to be evil but it's also like it doesn't really care if it is and so that was my main the, the main thing i kept looking back on and the the villain in the empty space is very much like that i had this i had this prologue that i wrote specifically with the actor i was never going to like make it because it gave away too much but yeah. it was the it was a character meeting someone else like he he met like a bum on the street and just kind of not understanding anything about it and so i really just wanted this thing that like you know because a lot of it deals with love and with like with attachments and so i wanted to really hone into what love was and to do that the villain had to be what love wasn't and so that was really just a big play on on, on all the creation of that guy that is that is cool I didn't make the connection, like the the connection of the similarities to the Cenobites until now because you uh, spoon fed it to me. But uh, <laughs> but my brain just like also kind of made a connection to another Clive Barker creation, Candyman. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There's a there's a a little bit of Candyman in the villain. <laughs> Like, and when you said you're, you're trying to explore what love is, so the villain has to be what love isn't. And then I'm thinking about what the villain does in the empty space. And then I kind of think about what Candyman does in that original film. Right. Candyman yeah. says, like, it was always you. I can't do Tony yeah. Todd. No one can do Tony yeah. Todd except for Tony Todd. But like saying stuff like in his amazing Tony Todd voice saying stuff like be immortal with me. Uh, yeah. The pain will be exquisite and he, like he's kind of gaslighting helen yeah trying yeah. to control and manipulate helen and um boilers the villain kind of does a similar thing yeah definitely and that was definitely like yeah Candyman, especially like throughout the beginning uh they the main characters hearing things and that was definitely a lot of inspired by candy man when he's she's like walking through the garage you hear him like it kind of is all encompassing and every time the character in this movie talked, we try to make sure that it was coming out of every side. So you almost like as if it's coming out of Amy's head and like you hear it that way, almost like he's intruding into her mind. And so uh, Candyman does that really well. And I think definitely we were going with that. And we we're also kind of going with, as far as the gaslighting thing, it was kind of this thing where we, we wanted almost to make a warp romance. You know, a lot of the yeah. stuff he does, if you tweaked it a little bit, you'll be very romantic. But because, again, he doesn't understand what love is, it comes off as kind of creepy and very weird. And there's like a scene near the end, which which I won't spoil, but he kind of does something for her that he thinks she's really going to like and she hates it. And it's kind of like he gets mad at her 
for not appreciating this thing that she didn't ask for. And I think there was definitely hints of gaslighting and definitely hints of manipulation from his character. You know? Oh, yeah. And like, it's my brain sometimes, man. As you were explaining that, my brain was like, when you said, if you just tweaked it, it become super romantic you know and my brain just went to like those videos you see on youtube where it's like like those editing videos where it's like if elf was a horror movie if silence (laughs) of the lambs was a romantic comedy and it's just like even if you just edit things a certain way it becomes almost a romantic comedy Mm -hmm. like cosmic horror villain doesn't (laughs) understand love and here's the hijink set in suits. <laughs> like if you just change the tone and like a couple plot points here and there, that's totally what it could be. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> I I think that's in, I think that's what your film does is uh, I think it'll lead to a lot of conversations. You know. Yeah, definitely. I think, like I said, the reception has been good. I, we had the premiere um, at the right before the movie was released. And I had someone come up to me and they told me that they had to leave at the about an hour in just because it was too much for them. And they they, mm. like, they were too scared. And like to me, I mean, I've seen this movie yeah. so many times that someone had asked me before it started, like, oh, is it scary? And I was like, not really? But her, <laughs> her reaction and we had a couple of people who were like, oh, yeah, I, there's some scenes where, of course, Andy Andrews has panic attacks. And I had people come up to me and tell me like, oh, yeah. I almost had a panic attack because she was having a panic attack. Uh-huh. And that, mixing that, mixing someone who couldn't, like I didn't ever think I would ever make a movie that someone would walk out of because they were too scared. And those, I can't think of better receptions and compliments than those two things, you know? Especially as a horror filmmaker. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and But I, I totally get that. And it makes me think, do you think like William Friedkin, if someone asked him, hey, is The Exorcist scary? not really <laughs> i wonder because i mean <laughs> by the time it's out by the time we premiered it yeah. i've probably seen it in its entirety about 25 times and so and, to me i'm looking at yeah. plot points you're looking at so many things and so you kind of lose focus of of that kind of stuff especially by the time like when you're in editing you're really focused yeah. on the scares but by the time you're like in color correction you're just kind of focusing on making sure, like it, it gets down to technique at that point, you know, right. when you're doing sound design or like after you've done sound design, you're just kind of making levels. All right. You're again, you're just dealing with technique. And so I think by the time it's out, I've seen it through that lens so much. And the premiere being able to see it from again, watch it as a movie was, was super cool because it is a weird movie. And so I was, in that premiere, I was like, are people liking this? Because it's very, it goes all over the place and it goes from zero to 100 at one point. And <laughs> yeah. so I, I, was, I was very relieved that people liked it. And again, someone walking out, I'm going to keep that with me forever. <laughs> and the, and like, not we're not trying to be mean, but when you're a horror filmmaker, if someone goes, man, why, how could you make that? That's disgusting. It's just like, oh, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, because I mean, it just means that you've been successful at what you're trying to accomplish. And so I think that exactly that's commendable. Yeah. <laughs> and like horror, it's a it's a genre that you want there to be reaction. Yeah, definitely. Because I, that's how you know it works. Yeah, yeah. And I think with this one, especially because I think it's harder to kind of play with because we were going for that kind of. 2001 where you see it and it's just kind of unnerving 
And so to me, that was my main goal was to unnerve people and to kind of like get them inside the head of yeah. someone who has anxiety. And so, you know, I think trying to trying to pull that off was always my biggest my biggest goal. And so it again, like you said, hearing that it worked was great. You know, even yeah. though I did feel a little bit bad that she had to leave, but I was also like, yes. I mean, I, I would feel bad too, but at the same time, it's like I did make a horror movie. Right. <laughs> I I think that's awesome. Do you have uh any any fun or kooky uh set stories come to mind? Yeah, well, the one the biggest one was there's some scenes where they're like kind of out in this barren wasteland and mm-hmm. uh, and when we shot that scene, we had to um the the sound guy brought his RV so that uh, Amy could change or Valerie could change. And he like he had like a gas leak, like an actual leak in his RV. And so he oh, ran out no. of gas as soon as we got there. And so the only thing we could do was film as much as we could. And then um, luckily we got everything, but then we had to leave. And the way we had to leave was we had George, our our uh, our camera guy, he he drove to like the first gas station which i think was like 10 minutes away he filled up like a five gallon tank of gas that we had he drove it back and then we would drive the rv as far as it could go which was about (laughs) 10 minutes and we were about an hour away so we kept having to do that and then joe who plays uh who plays the boyfriend he uh he was coming into the airport so then i had to send valerie in my car to go get him and they had never met in real life. They had done one rehearsal together. And so that was even weirder. But we had to do that. And so we lost the car. So then that slowed everything down. And so that was a very long night of just driving back and forth with this RV. And then as soon as we got to the gas station, we just filled it up. And we were able to get the rest of the way. But it took quite a long time. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> that is incredible. But you know what? I'm going to say it again. Perseverance. Right, right. Yeah. And it's that thing again, like we could have ended for the day, but we were like, well, we're already out here. We're kind of stranded anyway. Yeah. So let's just get our shots and then we can figure out how to get home. (laughs) So you just got to figure out how to do it. Exactly. So normally on this show, I would ask if you met uh, the topic villain, whether it be the Xenomorph or Mikey My My or... (laughs) uh, whoever would you die but you know what you made a movie man you're living <laughs> congratulations well, thank you yeah yeah and I, to for the record i would not survive if i was the main character <laughs> <laughs> i would have immediately <laughs> failed so, yeah. but thank you yeah i appreciate it it's, it, it's just a real feeling you know yeah and it's uh it's your third your third film I mean, to make just one, to make a short is a huge accomplishment, right. but to make three, uh, three features, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's been like a whirlwind. I mean, each one gets a little bit bigger and a little bit more. I know a little bit more. I'm able to, to work with more companies and stuff like that. And so, you know, it's just, again, I just kind of, I feel lucky to be in this position where I'm able to make these films and like, they're all self-funded, but I always say like, empty space when I was saving up the funds for that my parents let me live in their house and so you know it is self-funded but also I could have done it without them and so I think it's just that you need that community whether it's relatives or whether it's a community you make you want to be able to share that with with that community and like ask for that help and so 
you know, I feel unbelievably lucky to have that kind of support and to meet the people I've gotten to meet and even like being able to make friends with you. I don't think it would have happened <laughs> if, if I hadn't gone out there and made some movies and same thing with you, you know? And so yeah. I think that that's just, it's just the way that like as filmmakers, we just kind of make this bond that we, we get to take advantage of, you know? Exactly. And, you know, we're all, we're all in the same uh, film, make, film loving boat and uh, whatever I can do to help you out, man. Uh, you just say it. Cause there's a, Lord knows when I need help, I'm coming straight to you. I ain't afraid. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> but, you know, that that's what uh, filmmaking is. It's it's making friends and helping each other out. It's a community yeah. thing. Uh, you can't make a film by yourself. I mean, you right. could do a lot of it by yourself. You would know. Right. So would, uh, so would uh, Mr. Robert Rodriguez. But uh, <laughs> and I think but it I think... becomes that thing where once you like, even though I was, you know, writer and director, you you need to have trust in Valerie and yes. Joe in, in your whole cast and your whole crew and just kind of like, and they have to have trust in you, you know? There was a, well, another funny set story, if I can have one Yes, more, yes, is, yes, uh, please. Again, Pablo Medina plays a, a character named Brian, and there's a scene later in the movie that I cannot spoil, but I will say that Pablo is drinking coffee in that scene. And if you watch that scene, pay attention to what Pablo or uh, Brad is doing because Pablo had never drank coffee before or anything out of a mug, which sounds impossible because I think we were like 30 at that point. And so <laughs> the whole first part of the morning of that day was us teaching Pablo how to drink coffee out of a mug because he could not get it. And even now, if you watch the movie, every time he drinks, he like puts it up to his lips and goes, ah, like he's in a cartoon. <laughs> And so it's like when I watch that scene, that's the only thing I can pay attention. And he holds it like very weird as if he's never held the coffee cup before. And it always makes me laugh whenever I see what he's doing back there. I got to side with Pablo on this one. I also <laughs> am not a coffee drinker. I think I may have had a taste or two. Where we differ, though, is I have I love my mugs. I don't drink coffee in them. I'll put like pop or orange juice. Yeah. <laughs> or uh or when I was in college, um pop and whatever I could afford. <laughs> Maybe the mixture was orange juice. Um, but <laughs> but um no, I love my mugs. It's so funny. My mom always gets mad at me when I come home with a new I'm like, I bought another mug. And she's like, You don't even drink coffee. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I awesome. just love mugs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'll I'll say it again, man. Congratulations. It's well, incre thanks. uh incredible, incredible feat. And um, you know, I I'm glad I'm able to uh to spread the word. Well, thank you. Yeah, and I'm glad I'm happy to come on. Like of course, like since we've been friends, I've been listening to the podcast. So it's always cool when you get to kind of be on something that you listen to regularly. You know, kind of, again, it feels a little surreal, <laughs> but I think it's it's cool. Like, and I I'm I'm happy that I get to be in this position and have you gave me the opportunity to be on your on your show of course man and i appreciate you saying that that means a lot too look at us we're so <laughs> sappy so fret i love I, know, it. Right? I love it though <laughs> i i love it where yeah. can people maybe find your film depending on when this episode comes up <laughs> yeah <laughs> so i would say look on tubi first if it's not there yet then you can probably rent it on vod you can also buy it on vod 
um, and in stores. You can, at any point, if you want to buy it on Amazon, Walmart, Barnes and Nobles, uh, go ahead. Uh, it's always going to be there. But yeah, definitely check it out. You know, check it out on Tubi. I have no problems with you guys waiting for Tubi if that's what you want. I watch so many movies on Tubi. I love Tubi. Um, but yeah, definitely just kind of, it should be everywhere by the time this this comes out. So so give it a watch. And pay attention to the Would You Die Twitter and Facebook and um, Instagram because I will be sharing when it's out on Tubi. I will be sharing that as well. So awesome. cool. Thank you. Of course. Where can the peeps find you? So yeah, you can find me. Um, yeah, Hada Films is Twitter and Instagram. And I think it's also YouTube. But I know if you put Andrew Hada, you'll find me on YouTube. YouTube's cool because I put a... Uh, some of my short films, I make short films as well. I put those and then there's trailers. I have like, there's like a, a teaser trailer for the last ones that Bayview didn't need, but I still made it. And so you can check <laughs> that out. Uh, and so, yeah, check them out. I, we have fun uh, uh, shorts and we have some coming up, which are cool. I uh, Valerie came down last Halloween and we shot some shorts, which should be coming out soon. So check it out. Subscribe if you can, like it. Um, whatever you want, or even just check out the shorts. But yeah, Hot of Films is usually where you'll find it. Ah, incredible. Thank you so much for being on the show. This was a blast. And once again, congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, awesome. I'm so happy to be, I got to come on. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Thanks again to Andrew for joining me. And don't forget, try to watch The Empty Space. Support my friend and support indie movies. Speaking of indie movies, let's transition from independent cinema to Indiana Jones. Listeners of last week's Indiana Jones episode with Neil Marshall might want to know how I like the new film, especially since I was cautiously optimistic for it. Well, first time I saw it, I liked it. Had some issues with it, kind of long, not digging the de-aging tech in the prologue, but I couldn't stop thinking about it. So I saw it again, and it confirmed what I came to believe. I loved it. It's my favorite movie of the year, and I want to see it five more times in theaters. Now, it's not perfect by any means. I, I still have those criticisms that I had on my initial viewing, but this will join my collection of rainy Sunday movies. It got nothing better to do movies. It's an instant favorite. I think it's a worthy addition to the rest of the franchise. If you liked it, let me know. If you didn't like it, then don't bother me. I don't need that kind of negativity in my life. A reminder. I just became an affiliate for Fangoria, one of the premier brands in horror. I definitely recommend checking out their magazine and even subscribing. And if you decide to do that, don't forget to use the promo code WOULDYOUDIESHOW for 20% off your entire order. Another reminder, if you like my show and want even more Would You Die goodness, feel free to sign up for my Patreon. Link is in the show notes. Don't forget, we are in the middle of our Spider short film Indiegogo campaign. It would mean the world to me if you checked out the page, contributed, and shared with everyone you know. Check out the show notes for the link to the campaign. On this segment of I Know What You Watched Last Week, in which I tell you about the horror films I watched last week, I watched all four Insidious films, Death Proof, and Cigarette Burns. I believe everyone listening should know what Insidious is. The first film directed by James Wan, written by Lee Winnell, starring... Patrick Wilson, Rose Byrne, Lynn Shay, Lee Winnell, Ty Simpkins. That's a banger. Critics will call it Poltergeist 2.0, but is that a bad thing? 
I mean, Insidious rocks. If you like haunted house movies, it's not quite, there is a twist. It's not quite the haunted house movie you think it is, but you can definitely see the poltergeist inspiration. I think Insidious is a great time. I love Insidious chapter two. I thought it was wild. It's bonkers. It's camp. I think that one's a really, really good time. It's like, it's kind of like what Wes Craven's new nightmare is to Wes Craven's scream. James Wan's Insidious Chapter 2 is to James Wan's Malignant. I don't know how to explain it more than that, but that's what it feels like. Chapter 3 is really fun. I dig that one. It's not quite the first two, mostly because it's not James Wan directing, it's Lee Winnell. And this was Lee Winnell's first. That was his directorial debut. And Lee Winnell's become a fantastic filmmaker. You've got to see Upgrade and you've got to see The Invisible Man if you haven't already. But Insidious Chapter 3 is solid. It's a, it's a good time. It, it is more subdued and a bit more melodramatic than, than the first two. The first one kind of has a mean streak to it. And I think... Somewhere in two, that's where it starts embracing the melodrama a lot more, but this one's much more apparent. And the fourth one, who's directed by neither, I forget who directed this one. The fourth one is okay. I didn't dig it as much as the other ones. It wasn't horrible by any means. It's just one where I will only watch it when I'm re-watching the series. Like, I could put on two just because. I could put on the first one just because three even before i wouldn't do that four i would only watch when i'm doing the whole series so that's my thoughts on the insidious franchise so far i'm excited for the fifth one to come out patrick wilson's directorial debut that should be a lot of fun i watched death proof that's quentin tarantino uh kurt russell plays a homicidal stuntman who targets women and uses his stunt car to kill people. It's good. It's not as good as like other Tarantino, but Tarantino on a bad day is better than most. I stole that from Neil Marshall saying that about Steven Spielberg on that episode. But even then, I don't even think this is Tarantino on a bad day. It's just not Pulp Fiction or Inglorious Bastards or Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, stuff like that. But it's still very good. Kurt Russell's really good in it. Rosario Dawson, Zoe Bell, Mary Elizabeth Winstead. A lot of fun people in it. And then the last film I watched is this hour-long film I found on Tubi. It's from the Masters of Horror show a couple years back. It was called Cigarette Burns. It was by John Carpenter. That one was strange in a really good way i really dug it i thought it was neat uh stars like a really really early pre-walking dead norman reedus which i thought was really really cool yeah there was a, it was a strange film i'm not sure i was quite following it all the way through but basically norman reedus is tasked with trying to find a hard to find film only one print but people who watch the film go crazy yeah it was interesting it's something I got to think about a bit more. I literally watched it last night right before I went to bed. So I still got to do my thinking on it. But it was interesting. If you have Tubi, Tubi has a lot of horror gems. A lot of horror slop, don't get me wrong, but a lot of gems. And sometimes you got to dig through the slop to find the gems. 
that's with any movie genre, not just horror. <laughs> you can find the show's social media on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Would You Die Show. Also, now you can follow me on TikTok at Would You Die Podcast, where it's become mostly shit posts of gizmo dancing to random music, I find. You can find the Would You Die YouTube show on the Three Wise Men Media YouTube channel, where we talk about professional wrestling, trailer reviews, and much, much more. The music you hear in the beginning and end of each episode is composed by my friend, Josie Palmer. Next week, I have a good friend of mine. He's finally coming on the show to talk a 1950s classic monster turned iconic 1980s remake, but it's not the thing. It's not the thing. Also not the fly, but it's a good one. I'm, I'm really glad I finally watched these movies. Until next time, I'm Austin Torres. Try not to die.